pressed it. Guys, hey, welcome back to another edition of the CTC podcast and our continuing coverage of the Harry Potter series. As always, we're your hosts, Ron Jennings and Drew Cullen. Drew, say hi to the fine listeners out there for me. Hello, illiterate movie watchers. Wow, illiterate. Wow, it's a little bit of an attack right there. Are you sure you want to do that? I'm sorry, the books are just always so much better. I don't know why anyone's listening to the movie review when they can just be listening to all of our book podcasts. You know, you're not wrong, but especially with movies like these, you see them on ABC Family every weekend. I mean, whatever that channel's called now, it used to be ABC Family Freeform. I'm losing track of it personally. But it's always good background noise, or it's a very good holiday movie. I always feel like, especially with the Christmas scene in this movie, like it's like a really homey kind of thing. Like it makes me think of uh, pumpkin spice lattes and gingerbread. Yeah, whenever the Die Hard is a Christmas movie argument starts popping up, I usually just counter with, well, Harry Potter is more of a Christmas movie. Yeah, and by that logic, Die Hard is also a Harry Potter movie because Snape is in that movie. True, true. And what Die Hard does is pretty magical. Yeah, so that settles the debate right there. There's actually the debate of Die Hard being a Christmas movie. Yes, it is. Die Hard being a Harry Potter movie, it is the secret night movie in the franchise. So there you go, listeners. You could drop that fun fact on any of your friends and see how quickly they alienate you. It'll be a fun game you can play. (laughs) (laughs) So today we are, as you could probably tell, we're going to change it up on you guys a little bit. And it's time for the movie pod. And with a change in media, we bring you a change in format. Drew, I think you wanted to say something. What were you going to say? I was going to say, with the with the change in lineup, you can also already tell the tone that uh, we both think the books are far superior to the movies. Uh, far and away, yes. You can all, like, I'll give you, you can only put so much on the pages onto the screen, but... Yeah, I think it's funny because uh... we both don't like the movies for different reasons. I, I wouldn't, okay, don't like... Clearly, I didn't mean to say don't like. We love the movies. These are our childhood on screen. We clearly, we both think the books are better than the movies for different reasons. Because you don't like the way they adapted. I just don't like how they feel. I think they adapted fantastically. That, the feel thing is really interesting for me. Let's go into that in a little bit. We'll we'll get through the intro and then we'll jump right into that. Because I'm very interested in hearing that. Okay. <laughs> so we already took you guys on a journey through the books and we do have a recap for you as well. Uh, so we don't really want to retell you the story. We're instead going to go through these movies where we spent extra time watching it for you. This movie on my Fubo recording, uh, totally recommend Fubo for you guys if you like any kind of streaming. Um, It was about three hours, including commercials. So I also had to fast forward through commercials for you guys. You are welcome. Same. YouTube Uh, TV made me fast forward through commercials. (laughs) I was not happy. Oh, that's such a bummer. Uh, Down with commercials, man. I really wish like at Fubo, you could only skip in 15 second increments. So I had to keep hammering 15 seconds forward. And then sometimes I'd go too far. I'd have to go back. It was tough. But the recording was like three hours long. I probably spent like four-ish hours watching this because Oof. we went scene by scene, line by line, and stupid Rupert Grint face by stupid Rupert Grint face to find what was kept, what was discarded, and what was changed in this book-to-movie adaptation. 
along the way, we're going to discuss some character portrayals and just add in our own remarks about certain scenes. Also, something to keep in mind is that this movie came out in 2001. So some of it does not hold up very well. We're going to have a lot to say about it. And like Drew, we've been saying already, we're probably going to make fun of these movies a lot, but we do it out of love. <laughs> and Drew, I actually just read back through this script like earlier now, and we I make fun of this a lot. I wrote down a lot of kind of like mean stuff, maybe. And we were saying before, you brought it up to me, and my first offense for the graphics thing was like, well, Lord of the Rings came out a little after Harry Potter, right? No, it was the same year, and Lord of the Rings uh, still holds up to this day. So uh, I don't know what went wrong with Harry Potter that the the graphics don't hold up. Maybe yeah, it's the child I, actors? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know, man. Some parts just genuinely look bad now, but... I might, I, I might hate this movie. I don't actually hate this movie. <laughs> See, that's, again, we're going to get caught saying this a lot. We do not hate these movies. We love these movies. Just compared to the books and compared to the nostalgic feel of love that we had for these movies, going back and rewatching them make us a little sick inside. Yeah, and you know... You're only super critical about stuff that you really like and want to succeed. Or so we could just look at it that way. Game of Thrones season eight, which I did not want to succeed at all. There is no season eight of Game of Thrones in Boxing Say. <laughs> that just pushed your buttons on an Avatar. I love that's, it. That's why the Fire Nation invaded Boxing Say was to find season eight. I don't want to talk about that invasion because everybody was just dumb there. We'll save that for an Avatar pod. Yes. <laughs> anyway, in the end, we are going to give out some movie-specific rewards, and we're going to see if you guys agree or disagree. Uh, feel free to chirp away at us in the reviews in the comment section as we go along here. I'm sure there will be a lot of disagreements, and maybe you'll even find that you do agree on some of this stuff. will be interesting to see that, or we're going to lose all our listeners. So, Drew, though our medium may change, our mission does not. And we are going to perform our reviews in the same way that we do our section recaps of these books. We're going to do our absolute best to stay true to the section at hand that we're discussing, which means that we're going to do our best to avoid spoilers for future books as well as future movies in this case. Uh, note that I will say, I say that we're going to do our best. That's my promise, that we're going to do our best. Um, can't promise it's going to be 100% spoiler free. Spoiler free. Uh, Drew, I've listened to some older episodes that we have, and we've definitely been skirting the line with that a little bit. I've caught a couple where maybe we should be a little more careful, but just know we don't do it on purpose. Uh, if you're nervous about the possibility of spoilers and you aren't as up to date on the series yet, or if you haven't seen the movies, don't fault you for going back to read or watch before you join us here. We'll be ready to pull you guys back in whenever you're ready to come back. And I can't imagine that we're going to spoil more stuff in the movie review than we do in the in-depth chapter-by-chapter analysis. Because the foreshadowing in the books is just so good that we want to talk about future stuff. Whereas the movie, we're just going to make fun of it the whole time. So we won't be talking about future stuff. <laughs> well said. Very good point. And with that, buddy, I think it's time. I hope you've got your favorite movie snack with you. Uh, careful if it's the birdie bot. You don't want say, uh, don't want an earwax flavor. And also make sure you don't drink too much soda while you watch. We can't be having you getting up for any bathroom breaks. It's time to cover the movie.
And here, time for some movie commentary. I split this up into a couple sections of my own creation because I like to think I'm creative and I can come up with stuff. So I've named this first section the pre-Hogwarts section. So like we mentioned before, this movie is from 2001 and it shows right from the jump when they are on that, when you have Dumbledore on the street using his put outer to pull the lights out. Um, I watched this movie on a regular HDTV and even there it looked dated. Like, dude, I can't imagine what this would look like on a 4K TV right now. I feel like you, if like anything is flagged, you would see the strings on the puppets <laughs> as they're flying by. And Ron, this is the movie. Super it's a Deluminator, okay? We've, we've switched. We're not doing book coverage anymore. It's the Deluminator. Don't call it the put-outer for five books if it's not going to be called the put-outer. That's all I'm going to say. And, like, this this is probably going to get a lot of hate, but it also talks to the quality of the movie. But, like, I thought when Voldy kills Harry's parents, it was actually kind of funny in this movie. Just because, like, the slow-mo was so cheesy and, like, supposed to be super dramatic and, like, when Voldy uses Alohomora to, like, unlock the door, like, the doorknob, like, springs up in slow motion. Yeah, yeah it's bad. I don't know. It looks like one of the fan-made parodies that end up on YouTube now. Uh, one Piece has an amazingly hilarious one that a bunch of Japanese guys made. It's it's fantastic. Uh, it had a higher quality than this flashback. It's bad. Yeah, that's saying a lot if a bunch of amateurs could make something like this compared to what a multi-million dollar production company could make. Right. I'm almost wondering if with the first movie, I uh, I haven't seen the other movies in, in a while. I'm hoping that as we go further in, they get better production-wise. Maybe the first movie, they were thinking, hey, book-to-movie adaptations never work. This one probably won't either. Let's not blow a whole lot of money into it. Um, I'll actually look up real quick how much they spent on this movie. But that's my I'd hope. Be interested. I'd be interested to see that. I feel like they really wanted this IP because it was really taking the world by storm when it started to come out. And I think only a couple books were out at this point. Like, I think maybe through three. I'm not 100% on that, but there were definitely only a couple, but it was definitely very popular. Okay, so um, not loving the results that I'm finding. Oh boy. Really? Okay. Yeah. So this is this is where I have no defense for this anymore. <laughs> so 125 million for the Sorcerer's Stone. To put that in a kind of perspective, for those who don't know a lot about movie budgets or whatever, it's it's high. It's very high, uh, especially for back then, because production has somehow only gotten more expensive. So I then looked up Lord of the Rings Fellowship of the Ring real quick because. That should be extremely expensive. They traveled around all of New Zealand, and it was a fantasy series. It's a lot easier to animate something coming out of a wand than eagles carrying people. Um, it had only a $93 million budget, so $30 million less. Somebody was laundering money on that set. <laughs> That's the only explanation I have. I don't Yikes. know what could have been going on there. Oh, and the biggest cost of movies is normally the actor costs, but all of the main actors in Harry Potter are child actors, so the budget would naturally be less than the like Orlando Bloom, who was already popular by the time Fellowship was being filmed. So yeah, I I don't know. I don't know where all that money went. 
Yeah, I was going to say, these kids were all, like, relative unknowns. Like, I'm pretty sure, like, Hermione was just some girl, like, Emma Watson, like, wrote um, an essay on why she should be Hermione Granger. I think, like, Rupert Grint made a rap about why he should be Ron Weasley. Like, just miscellaneous stuff like that. I don't know, man. Yeah, definitely. I, I can't know. see their budgets being very high for the first movie. And somebody yet, the movie off. budget was very high. <laughs> somebody made off with $30 million on this, and I demand to know who it was. Clearly. <laughs> but however for the cat for some of the casting that we got like even for the beginning i will say that maggie smith the dame herself as professor mcgonagall and robbie coltrane as hagrid those are some really spot-on castings like i can't anytime i read the books though that's exactly who i picture as these characters i think they're really well done we talk about it later but hagrid is one of the things i was looking forward to seeing most on screen because it's so impossible to picture how uh, half giant, half human wizard who can't use spells would look. Um, and if for anyone who listened to our chapter by chapter analysis, McGonagall was almost a letdown for me as I was reading and I'm now watching this movie back. I remember why is because she was amazing in this movie. The acting and the production and what they did with her character in the movie compared to the books made her stand out so much more. Yeah, she's a phenomenal actress, man. She owns the screen. I think Maggie does whatever McGonagall is on screen. And and I just looked at chapter four, The Keeper of the Keys, because Hagrid is the chapter art there. And, like, he looks pretty spot on with how they made Robbie Coltrane look. So very good job by them, at least in that aspect. Makeup department, whoever else was involved, great job. Kudos to you guys. And then his delivery of uh, when they're at that cabin on that island, he's like, dry up Dursley, you great prude. And then he like bends up the shotgun and it goes off. Like I thought that was always really well done and brought that scene to life for me as well. Uh, Going to also give kudos to Fiona Shaw who played Petunia in these movies. Um, how she was like spouting off her little monologue about like why she didn't like Harry's mob and how they kept like his background a secret from him. She goes, I was the only one to see her for what she was freak she like says it like that i thought she did a really good job portraying that and like also we'll also say the dursleys still suck in the movies too and like you see the cupboard that they make them live in like that shit sucks um and but something that was like a little weird with that was he harry had toys that he was playing with at one point he had like these little horsemen he was like playing with and there's no shot that dursleys would have given him anything to play with under there he would have had to like put his socks on his hands and like make puppets to talk to him yeah i don't remember where i read it if it was on pottermore or fan theory so i I have no idea if it's canon or not but i thought that all of harry's toys were hand-me-downs that dudley said throw this out and harry like scooped them before they went in the trash but clearly it wasn't in the book because we just read it so i don't know where i heard that that was probably an assumption by a fan to like explain away why he had them in yeah. the first movie. And I mean, it kind of makes sense, but like they never, they didn't, I feel like they didn't really give Harry anything of Dudley's unless it was like an outgrown shirt. Cause he just kept eating. Right. And that's probably all I could really think of. And we also have a pretty early character casualty here. Uh, no Pierce Polkis, one of Dudley's little friends. So shame little man you did not get adapted your tribe has spoken just the beginning of a long list of cut characters 
in the series. Or or characters introduced too late. We have a bunch of those that'll be covered a lot later. Yep. And it's really a shame. Um, These movies kind of have like a Sins of Our Fathers type of thing where they forgot to do some stuff in earlier movies and then it has to get retconned or like they have to do a lot to make it work in later movies. And it's a bummer because like they probably didn't have the foresight to know that this would become important and they were trying to make trying to make cuts while the books were still coming out but yes that's just how it goes sometimes and that is why i will always defend even a half decent book adaptation that's turned into a movie because i want people to keep trying and keep pushing to make the best one but hollywood gets such a jump on the intellectual property on getting the ownership of the book and then they pay for it so they're like okay now we have to make a movie that they don't know where the view is going that was the biggest issue that I had with Game of Thrones before the final season. Um, every TV show that one of my favorite fantasy series has turned into has failed because of that, where they just cut extremely main plots from the first book. It's I I understand why they have to move so quickly, but I just want them to wait. Just hang out. It's only seven books. It's probably going to be like eight or nine years. Just chill and wait till you hear the ending. Yeah, and like fans will understand if it takes a little bit longer for a movie to come out if it's gonna be really good and it's gonna be a faithful adaptation. Like I'd be totally cool with waiting if something's gonna be really good. Like but then you get Game of Thrones season eight, which took two years to come out and then it still sucked. So And I think that's why I was so excited for Game of Thrones originally, because it's even better season one is even a, a better adaptation than this was this is not even close to word for word adaptation and i still call it good because that's how horrible most adaptations are whereas game of thrones season one was nearly like they just took the book and made it into a show script i was so excited but then they got ahead of themselves saw how much money they made pushed out seven more seasons and they got it just went too fast which this does still fall into some kind of the same trap but they handle it a lot better Definitely true. Um, actually, I kind of take back what I said, where I just looked up Order of the Phoenix as an example, and the Order of the Phoenix movie in the United States came out July 2007, and that's also when Deathly Hallows the book came out. So, yep, not a great look there. No, It probably should have been a lot more faithful. So, Unfortunately, I do take that back. Be better. And of course, that's when the book was actually published and given out to the public. So obviously, uh, JK knew how the book was going to end and she was discussing that with the producers and editors. So I assume that she knew how, like, exact details of how the book would be ending more around 2004, 2005. Um, It's a super well known fact that she went up to Snape's actor before filming began for anything and told him exactly how Snape's character arc would go and how his ending would be and what was important to him. And that's why he was able to portray him so well. But she can't do that for every character. She can't do that for every plot and backstory. And obviously, if she could, it would have just been that much better and that much closer of an adaptation. Yeah, definitely true. So... I think all these points have merit, and I think we've done a pretty good job outlining our disappointment with it. So now let's go back to making fun of it and having fun. So first of all, <laughs> Harry, 
when all these letters are coming from the chimney, why the fuck are you jumping in the air trying to grab one from the air when there's like 30 right at your feet? Just take one of those and run, you little idiot. I mean, he is very young, and he's been going to this public school, and his parents don't care about oh, his parents. His, his aunt and uncle don't care about him. His poor parents are dead, so I guess they don't care about him either. Um... <laughs> <laughs> they still do. They just can't do it on the wall. Yeah, they just can't do anything about it. So, I mean, maybe no one taught him common sense and street smart. He never leaves the house, so you can't get street smarts when you're not on the street. Yeah, he's just, like, scraggly and malnourished. It's pretty unfortunate. Yeah, he's I just... don't know how nobody how has nobody called England CPS on these people yet. Well, because everyone around them is witches and wizards, so they're not going to call muggle stuff. They're going to call Dumbledore, and Dumbledore's going to be like, no, 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 he's fine. Don't interfere. <laughs> It's like I'm watching them, dude. Trust me, it's funny. <laughs> Keep watching. This is like Watch they have a Twitch stream of the of his <laughs> uh, his cupboard. People get to see how horrible he's treated every week. It's Big Brother, Minerva, but he come... doesn't know he's in there. <laughs> Minerva, come over here. Dudley's gonna crack Harry in the face again and break <laughs> his glasses. <laughs> oh, look at the contact! Great hit. <laughs> I will say, I don't know if I just saw an extended version, but I didn't remember this. I really liked how, like, Petunia's going to bake something, and she's, like, cracking eggs, and they kept it from the book, where she's cracking eggs, and every egg has the letter in it, and she's, like, getting more and more freaked out, and she cracks every single one. So, like, kudos to Chris Columbus and Steve Close for keeping that part in. Um, disclaimer, though, I saw that Steve Close is also in charge of the screenplay for Half-Blood Prince, and... I don't know if I could forgive, I could praise him anymore. I We're not on Half-Blood Prince, Ron. <laughs> All right, whatever, man. I'm just saying, I'm just saying. So something else that kind of disappointed me, though, that they didn't adapt as well was in the books when Hagrid kicks down the door at that cabin, aside from the dry up Dursley great prude line, which was fantastic. I'll say it again, it was great. Um he didn't really have those angry outbursts like he had in the book. And I think we kind of missed out on that, unfortunately. I think that was like a pretty, it helped like set the tone for a lot of stuff. And it was a bummer that they didn't show that side of Hagrid because Hagrid has that side where he like occasionally loses control and gets a little too angry. Yeah, it's weird because it's the first time we're meeting him too. So it sets up his character as a much more cool, calm, collected, I control everything. And that's definitely not Hagrid. We needed, we needed to see him rage and flip out and be mad. We didn't. Like, he seems like the James Bond-type figure, walks in, gets his job done, grabs Harry, walks out. And he, that's not that's not him. Yeah, no way. And then something that I feel like gets lost a lot is that in the books, Hagrid actually spelled everything on his birthday cake correctly. So they just made him look like a simpleton in the movie by spelling happy birthday and his name wrong on that cake. I thought that was kind of messed up. It was a little bit of a low blow, but Hagrid does make a lot of stupid mistakes, so I don't really know how mad I could be at yeah, that. Somehow they translated being expelled from school into he was too stupid to learn English. Uh, clearly not accurate, but whatever. Yeah, I'll give him a pass for not being able to spell Voldemort, but it, I feel like he would know how to spell happy birthday. Yeah. Just saying. And now we get to our next section that I creatively dubbed Diagon Alley and the Train. 
So I will say, love how diagonally looks. Um, I really liked how the bank looked, uh, Gringotts, and it's definitely one of the high points whenever I would go to Universal and I would go to the Harry Potter Park. I would always go right to Gringotts and check that out. However, the dragon never breathed fire when I was there. I'm super bummed. So next time I just need to camp out there until I see it breathe fire. I was going to say Universal agreed with you that they love how Gringotts and Diagon Alley looks because clearly they spent a lot of time in the movie and they decided to make that a lucrative venture outside of the movies. 100%. It looks like they almost just like took a like a box cutter and they just cut out the movie set and like very carefully lifted it and just dropped it in Florida. And they were like, there we go. We got it. So I was going to ask, you went to the Florida one when you went. I did, yeah. So I've only been to the California one. Really? Yeah. Oh, dude, the Florida one was great. I just spent, I literally, like, I was just there for one day. I spent the entire day going back and forth between Diagon Alley and Hogsmeade. Same, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, we loved every second of it. We were only in Universal for a day, and we spent probably three quarters of it in Diagon Alley. Um, I, I'm curious. I might have to go look up the differences between California and Florida. I don't think universal differs as much between the parks as disney does because disney it's it's mm -hmm. two completely different parks you go to california you are not getting the same experience as florida but i'm pretty sure universal has a very similar feel other than what movies are in their tour kind of thing because obviously movies filmed in hollywood aren't going to be in the florida one yeah, I'd be interested in seeing what the actual difference are, differences are. I was thinking about going to Universal here, but then Corona happened, so I didn't really get to look yep. into it as much as I wanted to. That like tickets were actually pretty cheap at one point, but no go. Unfortunate. Speaking of Gringotts, we get down to see Harry's vault, and I think this is so much worse in the movies because the stacks of gold coins are literally as tall as Daniel Radcliffe is. And you can't even throw a little bit of cash towards the Weasley family. We're like robes that end at her, like six inches above her ankles. Like Rod has a hand me down wog that has clearly has like unicorn hair sticking out of it. And like their house is basically falling apart and they like live with, they muck chickens and they do all this other shit. You can't give them a couple dollars. You're just like, you're watching them come in. You're like, yeah, like out years beyond this. You're just like, oh, wow, that really sucks that you guys do that i'm gonna buy the solid gold culture and i'll catch you guys later yeah in the books we get the idea that he is wealthy that he could buy whatever he wanted but that he would still eventually need to get a job to sustain himself movie just is like no this is scrooge mcduck kind of vault money <laughs> oh my god for real mr fucking will take the lot you rich bastards <laughs> save some candy for the other kids on the train you jerk um, I also thought it was funny that they cut five of the six warnings of Gringot cannot be uh, broken into in the movie. They say it once and then kind of just brush it off. Whereas the book is like, no, 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 no. Maybe I didn't make it clear. We, you can't break in here. <laughs> yeah, that just shows more the impact it has that somebody actually did it at that right. point. So that's why I didn't feel it as much in the first movie because they, they kind of say it like, oh, yeah, it's a bank. No one can break in here. I'm like, obviously, that's the point of a bank. Yeah, it really is. But then they're just like, eh, it's another bank robbery. It happens to muggles all the time. No big deal. Right. It can happen to wizards, too. It really doesn't feel as big a deal. Yeah. Some other small things that were cut or changed, at least. Uh, no pre-Hogwarts running with Malfoy at Madame Malkin's. Which, I'm like, not, like, I really not wish a huge that deal. was in. No, I, that's a huge deal to me. That sets so? up the path that Harry is on. I, I legitimately think there were only two reasons 
maybe three. I'll call the Weasleys like a half a reason. But the two main reasons Harry went to Gryffindor were he did not want to be like Malfoy, the only other wizard he's met before he got to Hogwarts. And he did want to be like uh, Hagrid. So I I don't know. That was that was a big thing for me that they did not include how much of a tool Harry thinks Slytherins are based on this one meeting that he has. Yeah, you actually don't have him interact with Malfoy until late, and it's like on the steps at Hogwarts. So at that point, it's like he already established his friendship with Ron. At that point, like it's not early on enough where it could have swayed him in a different direction. Right. At this point, so he is doing about it. Yeah. Yeah. It really does. There, It oh. just, it doesn't set you up well enough for when you get to the hat and he's begging to not be in Slytherin. It's like, why does he not want to be in Slytherin? I get why he wants to be in Gryffindor, but there's no real reason to not be in Slytherin at that point. Or in the books where we've met a Slytherin, I wouldn't want to be with him either, dude. Don't associate me with that kid. Yeah, exactly. And they actually, like, almost fight him, too, on the train. Yeah. Which, like, Oh, man. Also interesting is that they gave Quirrell his turban right away in this. When yes. he met him in the books, he actually didn't have it yet. So no Voldy in the back of his head yet. But Which is why point, this is definitely why when we talked about it that I was actually incorrect and you pointed out that I thought he had his turban right because I was remembering the movie he had his turban. Yeah, I'm not really sure if this really does a disservice to it, though, because I think it helps set up the illusion that, like, he was like this before, so you don't suspect him. Right, and they, they don't even talk about how he's been out gallivanting for a year on hiatus. There's no real setup there, so it's not a big loss. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. So I think I'm relatively cool with that. Um, also, something to point out here is that we talked about it in the books, but it's even worse in the movies how bad they are at maintaining the statue of secrecy because they're on the subway and Hagrid is literally spouting out everything about Hogwarts right next to some businesswoman. And he even looks at her after he like talks about everything and she's like <laughs> weirded out by him. And then like when the Weasleys are going through on, pla- on the platforms, there's tons of businessmen like right next to them and they're screaming about platform nine and three quarters. They're like, it's actually like right in proximity. Yeah. And then some guy goes right in front of like either Percy or George when he like goes through the wall too. So it was blatantly obvious that this guy just went into the wall and like, they don't say anything. So like, I get it for the spectacle, but not consistent with the universe. I yeah. Say. I assume there was some kind of illusion in the books that, blocked off them walking towards the wall but it clearly isn't in the movies as much of an issue i had cutting them cutting malfoy out of Diagon Alley, uh how they made olivander made up for everything because i didn't feel like he was special in the books at all and in the movie that whole moment is amazing oh yeah the effects there are, are good i will give them that olivander's super creepy and he's super creepy in the books so yeah Good vibe there. Good, Good vibe vibes, there. bro. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then something I wanted to do with the movies, it's it's a lot of debate that you see around like a lot of different forms, but like one of the prevailing ideas of the movies is that Hermione's character literally takes everybody's lines. And before I was kind of just like going along with it, but I kind of want to see how true that actually is. So I'm going to be doing that 
throughout these movie pods just to see what kind of goes down and like maybe we'll come to a conclusion that maybe it's a little overblown or maybe it's actually true we'll see i don't know um and then that's a good segue to uh rupert grid's character getting shafted in the movies as well um like we lose a lot of the conversation that they had in the books here on the train and it's a little bit of a double-edged sword for me i could see why they would cut it but this is more of the sins of our father type of thing where he really outlines his insecurities and his struggles with jealousy and like not being the best there. And that's a good setup for his character later, but I could see why they might not think it's important when they made this movie. However, I think it really does his character a disservice later on because you really don't understand where it's coming from when he does certain things later on in the series. Yeah. So I'm not a huge fan of that. And um not giving anything away, but I think the moment you're talking about is, is in movie seven and eight when he, that and movie four. Okay. So uh, I know the biggest critique that a lot of movie viewer only that don't read the book have is when he does leave in seven and eight. And I, this is the beginning of that foundation that they didn't get that we did where we understood why he left. We understood why he was corrupted. Um, and the movie viewers just, were confused they felt like it came out of nowhere and this is where that began for sure yeah and that's where a lot of his criticism come from like oh he's a shit character like oh he's not a real friend like that kind of stuff so right where bummer in the books he's even a better friend than hermione he starts out earlier he immediately jumps right to help out harry right on the on this train like hermione is not a part of the crew on the train in the books at all she's a very late she kind of just walks up at the very end of the train. She's like, yeah, you're both stupid. Why aren't you even dressed correctly? <laughs> you're an idiot. You don't even know spells. Whereas in the movie, she's automatically cool. She just walks in. She's like, oh, by the way, I know this cool spell. It's not a. It's not bad that you don't know it. I just happen to know it. You got some dirt on your nose right there. Did you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And now it's time for the next section, the sorting and early Hogwarts days, because I did not have a more creative title for this. So that's what we're going to call it. Opens out about <laughs> how creative he is with his titles. Immediately says did not have a creative title. Defense of a lifetime, Ron. Thank you for that. <laughs> I was about to come to a defense. I was trying to think of a good way to phrase what my defense was going to be, but I can't even do that. So nope, there we can't. go. Creative juices. Zero. Done so. <laughs> I will say, though, school looks pretty good when we're rowing up, rowing up to it. School looks really nice. See, Castle looks cool. I disagree. Me. Again, really? I feel like this is so painful because I'm going to keep comparing it to Lord of the Rings because they're two of the best book-to-film adaptation fantasy whatever. Mm-hmm. The castles and the landscapes are just so good in Lord of the Rings. And then we get this CGI, ugly water, weird, dark boat scene. And I just was not feeling it. Once we're inside the castle, gorgeous. Yeah. But, but coming up on it when Hagrid's driving the boats, not loving it whatsoever. That's a fair criticism. I'll give you, I'll give you that. I do think on the inside but then something i wanted to ask you about i thought the halloween decorations were a huge letdown 
in the movies because it was just a bunch of floating jack-o'-lanterns i thought it was a lot cooler in the books see now that okay well yes it was cooler in the books but that was an immediate makeup for me because i wasn't i didn't know what to expect because i was disappointed Mm -hmm. with the magic so far so then we walk in the great hall and even just a simple thing as it's uh, stars on the ceiling and then those little jack lanterns. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, I'm back in. Like this is the cool magic I was hoping for as a little kid. Um, so yeah, I was completely cool. Great Hall is and will forever be one of the uh, my most fun moments seeing what they do in the movies with each scene in the Great Hall. Yeah, I would love to check out the London uh, tour that they have of all the sets. You could go to like the Great Hall and stuff like that. I feel like that'd be really cool. That would be sick. And then also something I want to touch on. This made me irrationally mad, and I don't know why when I was watching it. Actually, I do know why. It's because it makes no fucking sense. So <laughs> Hermione was sorted first, and then it was like Ron was after her, and then like random kids, and then Harry Potter. There's no order there. Like they went in alphabetical order in the books. Why could you just go in alphabetical order and just like we clip out to like Harry looking nervously around the hall with like names like really dull in the background, and then you zoom into main characters again? Like, why couldn't you just do that? That actually makes sense. I'm trying to, like, no, my memory's <laughs> terrible. I'm trying to remember in the books, and apparently I can't do the alphabet very quickly, so I can't figure out what alphabetical order. What was the order of the main characters in the book? So the order of the main characters in the book, it's Hermione's first in yeah. terms of the trio. Right. It's Hermione Granger. And then And Malfoy? then it would be Harry later. Malfoy's definitely before yeah, Harry. Yep, Malfoy came Is it after first name Hermione. or last name? It goes by last name. Okay, yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, because they went like... And then Harry goes before Ron, obviously. Yeah. But in the books, that was fine. So, okay, yeah. So I have an issue with the movies, too. Because I'm sure the movie did it because they wanted Harry to be the last main character to get placed into a house. But Ron made it very clear that he was going to get placed in Gryffindor, which is why the books set that up, so that they could do Harry first knowing that Ron was going to get placed in Gryffindor because everyone else important is before Harry alphabetically, so it was fine. Because the only important people that matter are Hermione going to Gryffindor and Malfoy going to Slytherin, and then we know Ron's going to Gryffindor. Because those yeah, are like, the only people did... that matter with Harry saying, I want Gryffindor. Yeah, and it, like, if they don't want to show any of the other kids, like, fuck it, Hannah Abbott, Susan Bones, fine. Like, you don't have to show them. Show Obviously, them, the movie, doesn't, yeah. I don't care. You, you can cut that. That's whatever. <laughs> Yeah, but, like, at least go in alphabetical order. And then if, like, you really wanted to, like, after Harry gets sorted, like, show him sitting down and then, like, show Ron running over and, like, breathing a sigh of relief or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Gryffindor also. Like, you can even cut to Harry getting celebrated and then, like, he goes into his head and says, oh, thank God I got Gryffindor. And then you can time lapse out and Ron be walking over. Yeah, and then something else that didn't sit right with me, like, I know they show that the hat act outwardly talks, and like you see that on the rides at universal you see it like in the book it could sing to everybody but my thought and interpretation was that when you put the hat on and you're thinking stuff the hat you only you could hear the hat like the hat's not outwardly talking what your thoughts are yes but this thing is put it it's putting harry on blast the entire time like oh not slithering huh so like screaming all hears it yeah (laughs) It's like, uh, that makes no sense, because it was supposed to be an internal struggle. <laughs> and I can see that actually probably is J.K. saying, oh, no, I always meant for the 
hat to be saying it out loud, but it just was never explained in the book. So then we all all interpreted it as, no, why would the hat say an 11-year-old's internal thoughts out loud to a bunch of other kids? Like, that's weird. Yeah, it sold them out. That's messed up. I don't like that. Speaking of things I don't like, get Madam Hooch off the staff table. She's not a real teacher. She's barely even staff. Okay, let's calm down. PE teachers kind of <laughs> She's barely a PE teacher. She doesn't even do magic. We see her do magic, I think, once in the books. Yes. <laughs> it's literally one time. <laughs> Yo, but she could probably catch that snitch. Just in case the Seekers all suck. She's probably the backup Seeker. She has a mean impedimenta. That's about all there is to her. And you don't even see that in the movie, so it doesn't even matter. Anyway, <laughs> we're going to chalk another up or this isn't even another, this is the first one actually, in the Hermione Ceiling Lines column right now. It's very minor, but it happens, so I'm including it. Um, in the books, when they meet nearly headless Nick, Seamus asks him how he could be nearly headless, but instead it's Hermione in the movies that does it. And I feel like that's just a throwaway line. Like, why did you have to give that to somebody else? Yes. I actually like, would have preferred like, Ron to have it. Of all people, you're going to give it to Hermione, who's naturally intelligent and just did all of this research all summer on ghosts and poltergeists, and she should know either who this is, because she did a history of Hogwarts, or how ghosts would end up in this state. Like, why give it to the smartest person? I have Ron ask. Ron would be the one curious and be like, dude, how'd you end up with your head like that, bro? Yeah, and there's two things about this. First of all, it's that... Hermione actually has tact when she's asking some of these stuff. She's super petty and catty when she wants to be, but like she wouldn't outwardly ask a question like this. Ron, if we know anything about him from the movies and from the books, is he has a terrible track record with ghosts and being nice to them, and he has zero tact. So he would have no shame and just be like, "Oh, why your why is your head not all the way off?" Yeah, exactly. So they, this is a perfect character. setup for Ron. I don't know why they gave it to Hermione. I, again, headless. completely understand why they didn't give it to Seamus. Movie has to cut random small characters like that out of lines and out of random stuff. Like you just have to. That's uh, as we see with Crab and Goyle. If they gave them all of their lines from the books and then lost their actors later on, like they did, it would just feel weird. So give it to the main trio, yeah. but give it to the right one in the main trio. Come on, that that was an easy yeah. decision that you botched. I know. Speaking of Crab and Goyle's actor co actors, cocaine is a hell of a drug. <laughs> but um, Jesus, they're eleven. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, man. Um, however, on the plus side for Seamus, we still get the iconic, we dad's a muggle, mom's a witch line from the books, which I was glad that they had. However, they also played into Irish stereotypes, and later on, he is trying to turn water into rum for breakfast. Yes. <laughs> but really, that's all his character is here for in these movies, is for the Irish stereotype, which is why they gave him that line, because it sounds way funnier coming with the Irish accent. It really does, because he like he still has like little kid voice, and it's like kind of mumbled a little bit when he's trying to say it. So, like, yeah. oh my god, it's so funny. Like he, it's out. He's trying to drink liquor before the first class of the day. I was gonna say like he's ready for college already. Automatic bid in whatever fraternity he wants. Um, I just also, looked it up real quick just for Emma Watson because like obviously I can't look up every character. I was saying they were eleven, but I was pretty sure when I said that I think they actually grabbed actors and actresses that were slightly younger than the characters because they knew they weren't going to be able to do one mm -hmm. movie for every year so when the movie actually came out emma watson had just turned 11 
Oh, wow. So during filming, she was actually probably nine at the beginning of filming. Yeah, um, she was also really... She was really smart, too. Like, she memorized everybody's lines. Oh, yeah, yeah, she did. Maybe that's why she has all the lines, is the other nine-year-olds couldn't memorize them. <laughs> nah, dude, look it up. There's, like, a fun fact that, like, if you really pay attention to some of the earlier movies, when other characters are talking and she's on screen, you'll see her, like, mouthing the lines to herself <laughs> quietly so she knows where everybody's at. Oh, for real? That's cool. <laughs> I... I wish I paid attention to it. I kind of want to go back through some of the clips and see if I could see her doing it. I mean, she is a genius. Yeah. Great overall person. Good for her. And if anyone that went to Brown with her is listening, uh, if you're the tool bag that screamed 10 points for Gryffindor every time she talks, you can just go ahead and stop being a human because that's horrible. Yeah, could you not? It's an overplayed joke. It was probably funny the first time it happened. was not funny any of the times after. No, especially when she started asking you to stop or else she was going to drop out and then she eventually like started taking online classes because you ruined her experience wow that actually happened what a bunch of losers yeah she dropped a couple classes because people would not stop bothering her during the class like she would sit in the very back row and the entire, like two kids in the class would be bothering her while the instructor was teaching bunch of tool bags dude wow people actually suck you have something cool like that and you just ruin it good for you right i would die to have emma watson six nights with me in class i would never speak a word to her i just stare awkwardly <laughs> so girl i'd be like all sweaty be like do you, do you want the notes i took really good notes fours that i didn't know i would have would be sweating oh my god that'd be so bad although i don't know if i'd be able to handle it i would definitely not be in whatever class she was in at brown so i guess that would never happen yeah, we're probably not Ivy League dudes, so no, no. good chance. <laughs> Speaking of college, like I wish that colleges gave us some of the stuff that they got because you see where they go up to their bedrooms after they get sorted for the night. Like their chairs are piled with like their house swag. It's like a scarf, it's a sweater, it's everything. They just have it on their chair next to their bed. I do have to say, maybe got one T-shirt. Coming from the private school background, that happened to me. Definitely walked into my dorm and there was just DU stuff everywhere. Wow, that's a bummer. (laughs) (laughs) UConn. UConn. (laughs) Oh, we're in the news for all the wrong reasons lately. Yeah, it's it's been rough. (laughs) Yeah. Jesus, God almighty. Oof. Not great. So now let's get into classes. Um... Thoughts on Alan Rickman as Professor Snape. I loved him as a casting, but he was, I just wish he wasn't so old. Yes. So we talked about this during the books. The ages Mm -hmm. of the Marauders are entirely misrepresented in the movies. The parents should not look 30 something during the flashback. They're 21. Snape should look the same age as the parents, but he looks 15 years older. By then. Um, however, Alan Rickman is one of the greatest actors ever. The fact that J.K. trusted... He was specifically picked for this role by Rowling. She said, whatever you need to pay this man, go pay him. And then she told him the background on Snape because she knew how important that twist was going to be at the end. Clearly, she chose correctly. Amazing job. Which is why it. so many people, no matter how mean and horrible and tormented snape does to these kids viewers of the movies only love snape because alan does a great job 
Indeed. And like a lot of the stuff he does to mess with kids in the movies is a lot funnier than it is mean, where like it's actually mean spirited in the books. Yes. Which is part of where that comes from, I think. And I just thought it was funny how like you're watching like little Danny Radcliffe sitting in class and like Snape's going through his big spiel and Harry's like taking accurate notes word for word of what he's saying. And then he actually accuses he accuses him of not paying attention when he's taking notes right in front of him. He's hardcore going at it. Yeah. Like clearly he did not get the the <laughs> screenplay of like, oh, by the way, you're stupid and don't take notes, Harry. Uh, I'm pretty sure this is actually the scene while they were filming that Ron, I think, oh, I'm, I don't know if it was Ron or Harry now. One of them, instead of taking notes, when they're told, hey, pretend to take notes, draws a picture of Alan Rickman. And it's awful. It's it's a very bad drawing. And it's like him being mean. It's, it looks like they were actually drawing one of their mean algebra teachers. And he he, he saw it during filming signed it for him and they still have it framed up in their room i thought that was adorable yeah it was it was rupert grant that's what i thought okay i think yeah yeah Yeah, dude's a funny guy yeah he is a funny guy we also got an up in the point deduction here so a little more weight to these points minus five for sheer cheek from gryffindor for him not having sassy responses yeah so two points the movies actually do make the points make more sense probably Mm -hmm. just because we hear less about the points because the more we hear about this convoluted system the dumber it sounds so the movies actually if you just go by movie points they make sense they do make a little more sense so a little nice little positive change there (laughs) and then uh if there's anything hoochie does she gives us some very wise words um when riding the broom mount it grip it tight and don't slide off jesus christ how did that fly (laughs) it's like shrek you have to put adult jokes in uh, i know also neville should have died in the movie portrayal of him losing control of his broom he like flew around the entire castle smacked into it a couple times and then he got caught on this like statue that's probably like 50 feet in the air and then he just dropped from it. I mean, let's be honest. The the movies if the different chosen one had been picked instead of Harry Potter, it just would have been Neville, the kid who should have died from everything. Basically, and like it's even worse cuz then Hooch had all this time to save his ass yeah. while he's going around everywhere and she still did nothing and just let him drop and <laughs> she did absolutely broke nothing. <laughs> Only casualty, broken wrist, no like shattered hips or anything like that. Yeah. But I will say also that Tom Felton was a good Malfoy, and he seems to have like, like really embraced the series. Even he loves Harry Potter. Yeah. So like big ups for him. They did a pretty good pick, except he has to pick. He has to play a douchebag, and I think that kind of works with all these like Malfoy redemption fanfics and all that stuff that come out because Malfoy was a huge tool, and he never really redeemed himself. Yeah, anyone who's a little shithead. Anyone who ships Hermione and Malfoy together are actually just shipping the actor, not the characters. They just think that Felton is a great person and deserves to be with Emma Watson. Because no one in their right mind would think that Hermione and Malfoy should ever get together. 
totally fine. But in terms of movie, in terms of book, no sense. Yeah, no. Zero sense at all. Yeah, I think it's hilarious that Felton is 100% all in. He knows Harry Potter is the only reason he's a big deal. And then Daniel Radcliffe is like, yeah, if you could just never bring up Harry Potter to me again, that would be awesome because I'm super <laughs> embarrassed about everything I did in those movies. Oh <laughs> That's such a bummer. That's so sad. Never meet your heroes, guys. He's also, not even mean what? about it. He just he really is embarrassed at how dumb he looked during them, which I think is <laughs> amazing. No, fair. Okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Also, like, I want your perspective on, like, how Malfoy, when he took the Remembral, how he flew away. He looked like Mary Poppins to me. He's just, like, holding on to the broom like he's holding on to, like, a chimney sweep. And I mean, he, he just, didn't, like, floats away. He didn't look more like Harry Poppins than uh, the guy from Garden of the Galaxy 2. So, really not even close. But <laughs> Harry Poppins, y'all. Oh, Mary Poppins, y'all. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, in any world where the fan fiction that I fully believe in is that Willy Wonka and Mary Poppins are both rogue wizards that just don't follow ministry rule, I fully believe that Malfoy's role model is uh, a rogue witch. Oh, interesting. I haven't heard of any of those, but I dig it. Also, like, last little piece of this, like, Quidditch section here. When they go to grab wood, they grab him from Quirrell's class instead. Why is he up there just holding an iguana? It makes no sense for his class. How does iguanas relate to defense against the dark arts? He's just, like, clutching it like it's, like, a gun or something. He's just holding it. He's, I mean, like, all surprised when Big G goes in there. He's like, yeah, sure, of course, you could take wood. Are we really that surprised that defense against the dark arts wasn't being taught properly at Hogwarts? No. <laughs> so actually, this is more accurate than the book. I think you're right. Also, like, <laughs> we have to keep in mind, no wonder all these wizards are so bad at magic. There hasn't been a consistent defense against the Dark Arts teacher for like 30 years at that yeah, point. Yeah, since Dumbledore was like the that. defense against the Dark Arts teacher. <laughs> hey, he was Transfiguration. Check your privilege. Um, check your Fantastic Beasts and where to find them. He was defense against the Dark Arts. Oh, I don't follow Fantastic Beasts. They piss all over the canon. He was defensive against the Dark Arts for two years until the Ministry was like, yo, this guy's too strong to be teaching our kids. Put him in Transfiguration. Oh my god, that makes the Ministry sound even worse. (laughs) (laughs) They were so intimidated that their teacher was better than them and teaching these kids to be better than them. But they were like, yo, we need a worse teacher in defense against the Dark Arts. (laughs) And since then, it's just been a long line of morons. Oh my god, I hate everybody in a position of power there. This is so bad. Yep. Um, also, we have another in the Stealing Lines column. Uh, Harry and Ron are talking about the Quidditch team and how Harry made it, and Hermione just butts in like they actually want to talk to her. And she's like, oh, you should look at like the cups in the trophy room because your dad was a Quidditch player. That's where you get it from. And like, that was such a good McG moment in the books where she's like, your dad was a great player too. He'd be really proud to see you fly and stuff like that. So I thought that was a really bad take from McGonagall there. I feel like Maggie Smith would have done a really good job with a line like that. Yeah. And like we said in the books, this was one of the things that hits me the most with Harry and sets up that backstory of how much he has in common with his father and how much they would have gotten along if he was still alive. 
It's just stupid that Hermione knows this. Like, what are you stalking him? Why? Why would you check out this one random trophy? Well, in terms of stalking him, she in the book she did say like, "Oh, you're Harry Potter. I've read all about you." So like that, that would make some sense. That but, is true. But I assumed read all about you as a baby because no one's heard from him since. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I don't know, man. That that still frustrated me. That's a take that I'm not really cool with. That didn't frustrate me as much as them blatantly lying about what position James played. He was a chaser, not a seeker. Yes. Please don't try to force the relationship even more, claiming that, oh, yeah, you're you're a seeker because your dad was a seeker. No, 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 no. You, the fact that you play Quidditch because your dad played Quidditch is already enough to make the audience understand, oh, that's a cute connection. Like, you don't have to be a first yeah. baseman because your dad was a first baseman. You just play baseball. That's Yeah, you're dumb. both just athletes. Like, right. don't be dumb. Just let it be that way. Like, not every – like, you see it in the NFL all the time. Like, especially now when we're having, like, sons of NFL players going into the NFL, not every single, like, player is playing the same position their dad did. If anything, like, most a bunch of, of players. Are. Yeah, there's a bunch of them where I think like DK Metcalf, his dad played some other random position when he was in the NFL, and DK Metcalf is a wide receiver. So like, clearly they are both just really athletic. Like that's all it comes down to. Yeah, especially defensive players. I don't can't think of any defensive player that plays the same role as his dad because it's not about the fame and the glory of playing the same role. It's just yeah, I play football like my dad. I hit people like my dad. That's like, yeah. It's weird that they made James a seeker. Yeah, if anything, the only like defensive player I think of is it's close where like Antoine Winfield's son plays safety and Antoine Winfield played corner. So like they were both technically DBs, but different roles on the field. Right. So like still a difference. It doesn't have to be like, like right direct descending line. You could you could branch out, and you could be like creative with it. I was, say as I make terrible titles for my sections. <laughs> was McCaffrey's dad a linebacker or am I getting that wrong? McCaffrey's dad was a receiver, receiver. and then his brothers are receivers and quarterbacks. Corner? He's the only running back in the family. Corner? Quarter. I always love yeah. it in the in the family when the siblings are opposite roles. Like one's a wide receiver mm -hmm. and one's a corner. Because clearly when they were growing up, they were like, well, we can't both be wide receivers. So we'll just practice against yeah. each other in the backyard. <laughs> I love that. Oh, it's awesome. And then like the McCaffrey family, like one brother's throwing passes to the other and we're like handing off to the other brother. It's great. Yeah. I'm a big fan of that. So now we get to our next section, and this is where trouble starts popping up. Oh, spicy. Um, and we're also going to start getting into these awards that I haven't talked about yet because it took a while to get to the part where I was actually going to give one out. So here, my first one is a negative one. It is least favorite change, addition, or subtraction from the book-to-movie adaptation. And my answer is how they found the third floor corridor. In the movies, they just happened to stumble upon it. Ron, Harry, and Hermione just walking around in the hallways and like, oh, here's this here's this door. This will lead us back to where we want to go to the common room. And then big dog. That's like, that was basically it. They got rid of the whole midnight duel. <laughs> yeah, which was the chapter title. So kind of strange to cut that whole thing out. Yeah, and like they could have, it might have taken 10 minutes to show the entire thing go down. Not like, I even. Get how, 
like I get they want to limit because like they do a lot of wandering around at night. They probably wanted to cut down how much of that happens in the movie so they don't like beat us over the head with it. But like, but it wasn't even the wandering at night that I was wanting them to keep in. I wanted them to keep Malfoy being creative and being the epitome of a Slytherin because Slytherin's not just about being the villain. It's about being the creative Bond villain that comes up with this master plan. And we just don't get that. Yeah, and on top of it, too, that was, like, a good thing for, like, we got to see Neville hanging out with the gang. Like, we got to, like, it was, like, good, like, bickering between, like, Ron and Hermione, like, getting pissed at each other while they're, like, going around places and having them be forced to work together. Like, I feel like we miss out by taking that out. And if you're going to take anything out, like, I'm cool with them taking out the second Quidditch game. Like, that's not super necessary. Like, I'd love to see Malfoy get beat up by Rod and Neville, but if it can't be in there, it can't be in there. I'm fine with them taking that out, but don't take out something central like this. Absolutely. Uh, For me, I didn't want to have the same one, otherwise it (laughs) might be that one. Um, But my other (laughs) least favorite change was a mix between cutting out Hermione's challenge at the end, um, Snape's exam almost, I don't know, whatever you want to call it, uh, to get to the final room because Hermione doesn't do a whole lot in the books. So then you go and give her all these other lines of these other people in the movies to make her look cooler, but then cut out the one cool thing she actually did. Just super weird. And then the really tiny detail that I would have loved to see is instead of just seeing his parents in the mirror, he sees his whole lineage. I didn't catch that in the book. This was the first read-through that I actually noticed that like his grandparents and his uncles and aunts and all the people that could have loved him but were taken too early were in the mirror. Showing that it's not just his mom and dad that he yearns, he yearns for an actual family. Yeah, that would have been a really nice touch. And then your choice was actually something I really wanted to touch on later, but I'll just touch on it now. Like they kind of replaced that with her taking on the devil's snare and like that's another part where they like really shafted ron a little bit where like they just made him like a yelling like freaking out lunatic where he was like not in control of anything and like absolutely useless where he was definitely like freaking out in the books but he was the one that like reminded hermione that like hey dude you could do magic like you have a free hand with your wand like you could solve this problem and it sets her straight and like puts her in the mindset like oh yeah that's right and then she like she saves the gang right and that's that's the combination of book and street smarts that everyone loves about the ron hermione duo that we just don't get here yeah and i feel like that also doesn't really do a good job of replacing her challenge just because like with when you see her solve the potions puzzle it's her using logic where like we've built it up so far that she's so intelligent and like, she's really good at thinking things through. Right. Where like she saves the gang from like traps a bunch of times throughout the book or she'll like warn them. And like, ultimately they don't follow her advice and they get into trouble because they don't follow her advice. <laughs> I was going to say, usually but, never follow her advice. Yeah. But like, this is something that she, it would have shown really well and it would have been cool to see the different kinds of fires and like how they like went through either one. And it would have given her her, like, actual real moment to shine where it shows that, like, this is me putting my smarts in play. This is why I'm, like, the most clever witch of my year. This is why I could solve this issue. Right. But instead, it's just like, oh, I read this in a book. Boom. Done. For me, it's the duality of not only do we see Hermione using her muggle genius to solve a puzzle, 
but it's also Snape putting the emphasis on his puzzle of you can't just be a good wizard to get through life. Mm -hmm. He is not about that pure bloodline, even though these villains should be. So it's a little weird that we're getting this hint that like, hey, he might not be like all these other people that used to follow Voldemort. Exactly. And it takes away from his speech at the beginning of class where like it's more than just waving your wand and saying silly words like right, you need to be able to follow a process, understand how things work together and get to the ultimate solution. However, our saving grace leads to our next award, which I have the favorite line delivery and Drew, I know that I talked about how much I love this line when we went through this section of the books but i thought emma watson did a really good job of the line where she goes now i'm going to bed and like we could have been killed or worse expelled and all that like i just always really liked that and then the rod follow-up after that when she stops off to bed that was like a nice little add-in he's like she really needs to sort out her priorities. I thought, like, I thought that was a pretty good ad. So, like, spot on. Like, you made you let Ron do his like little silly thing. So, of course, cool. yeah. Your favorite line is Hermione give, doing her actual line. You don't need to give her more lines. She has enough good ones. And then they exactly. stole so many from Ron that they had to give him a good one. Like, it's just weird. <laughs> um, mine had to be Coral uh, running in because we get to see just how much of a coward this dude is. <laughs> in this one line of him running into a room full of 11 to 18 year olds with maybe like five adults in there just absolutely flipping out about this stroll in the dungeon and then just calmly at the end just just thought you should know and then passes out it just fades <laughs> such good acting and then we're gonna speak of like some characters and professors now so first of all they did flip like super dirty in this movie his character looks dumb like a little gremlin like warlock type he thing was not, not a fan does not look fantastic yeah they no. make him look better in later movies so they got the message but the, he doesn't look good here. and then again like i always forget that this line is different in the books but it's leviosa not leviosa like i always really i like the presentation of that in the book in the movies um definitely liked it better than the pronunciation hack in the books so i was a little bummed to find out the difference there but anyway another reward coming in hot uh favorite character or actor portrayal and this one was pretty easy for me um you kind of see how i've been hyping up emma watson a lot through this entire thing but i will say richard harris's Elvis dumbledore was a spot-on casting and it's a shame that he had to die when he did because he would have been a great Dumbledore through the rest of the series. He acts exactly how Dumbledore should and did throughout the books. And it's a bummer that we don't really get to see this. Like, could you imagine this troll scene if Michael Gambon was Dumbledore during it and he's yelling silence at the kids? He's going to run around backhanding. Uh, like, stop running. Don't put Everybody that in my together. brain. Oh, I'm not going to be able to get that out now. I need to go drink some bleach. <laughs> Did you put your name? <laughs> yeah, obviously I'm gonna agree. That was that's the greatest um, casting for me in a movie filled with amazing castings. Like we're talking Emma Watson yeah. up so much, we don't even really get to see how amazing of an actor she is until the later movies, just because she's a kid still. She's she doesn't yeah. know how to use all of her acting chops yet. Dumbledore stood out as the perfect portrayal of a book character on film. 
And it, it, it really is just such a shame that he had passed away before they can film all seven. Or eight. I keep wanting to say that it's so stupid they cut the final movie in half. They should have cut more movies in half if they were going to do that. Right. And they actually would have fit in the content. Just give me 10 movies instead, then. Like, yeah. Nope. Best we could do is eight. We're cutting them short. <laughs> okay, HBO. Oh, God. <laughs> um, could we also talk about Hermione's genius strategy when. <laughs> the troll was in the bathroom how she hid under the sinks where she's clearly visible and Look, there's nowhere to go. <laughs> I can't stress this enough. She is not the street smarts of the, of the group. It's that's not yeah. what she's around for. Also, I just hyped her up and now I'm going to tear her down, but super salty <laughs> that like in the books, it makes so much sense. Cause Rod's dumbass just did the first thing that came to his head and he just used with guardian Leviosa and it worked. Like that's how his character rolls. He literally admits in the book and just, yeah, it. he literally admits in the books, I only know one spell. What can I do with this? <laughs> yeah, and then, like, in the movies, she's, like, hiding, under, like, crouched under the sink, and she's like, remember, swish and flick. And it's like, she wouldn't have come up with an idea that stupid if she had any ideas. Right. And she was clearly under pressure, so, like, she also wouldn't have had an idea right there. She crumbles under pressure. So That's the bigger uh, thing for me, is I would have rather her just stayed quiet because she's scared. It is very normal yeah. for a nine-year-old whose life is on the line, or 11-year-old, whatever. To be yeah. terrified and not be able to use the natural intelligence that she has. Whereas that's Ron's strength is to be courageous in all things and hop in head first, even though he's about to get absolutely decimated. Um, yeah, just didn't like how they did that whole scene. Yeah, and they made it sense. in the books. It's already a little weird because you don't know what a troll looks like. But then having him get knocked out by a wand in his nose and his club like gently falling on his head just looks dumb animated. Yeah, it does. I'll give you that. And also, Drew, never forget, saving the school from a troll is a net plus five in terms of points. Yeah, same pointage as uh, we learned earlier in the movie, where Snape just decided to take five away for being cheeky. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. Opposite end of the spectrum. They're weighted very equally. But now we get to the next section. We have Baby's First Quidditch match coming up. And Drew, it's my favorite time. It's time to shit on Quidditch a little bit more. So let's get right into it. So first of all, the timeline of this whole thing is super scuffed. Um, in the movie, how they set it up, Harry gets his broom literally the day of the first match. Because like the kids are trying to like keep him calm, and then the the parcel just comes flying in, and it's his broom. Yeah. Like, What's he been like, practicing on? Some beat up Comet 260 in the school broom shed that like lists to the left and like goes zero to 60 in six minutes. Right. Like, like we don't have a lot of equals to this in the real world. You don't have a lot of gear that is essential to your sport. Yeah. The only thing that really works is NASCAR, but imagine driving a Honda civic and then being given a NASCAR <laughs> and then like, Dude. all right, go 200 miles an hour. That's not how that works. <laughs> No, it's not. And then, like, also, when the broom falls on the table in front of them, like, oh, I wonder what it is. Oh, what's it fucking shaped like? Like, what do you think is in this package? Oh, my God. And then this one was kind of hard to find, but we we have another award coming up. And it is the favorite change, addition, or subtraction. Um, And my award, honestly, it's not that good, but 
Oliver Wood's speech in the book is so bad that the change in the movies is actually such a net positive for me. I almost wish they would have kept it in because it's like a joke reading in the books. It's like it really is James Winston eating the W. Like, I wish they would have put that on film. Dude, it's so bad. And then, like, in the movies, it's actually funny because Harry's, like, looking for advice from Wood, and he's like, yeah, I remember my first match. Took a bludger to the head two minutes in, and then I woke up a week later in the hospital wing. (laughs) Yeah, so it's not even funny. It's just the opposite of motivating. Where in the book, it was not motivating and hilarious. (laughs) I don't know. I thought it was a net positive change, and I also think they need to start testing these kids for CTE in this sport because there's a lot of head contact. The the fact that Will Smith has not made a movie about Quidditch is mind blowing. Oh, it's coming up. Just wait. There's a big expose. <laughs> he actually made it, and then the Ministry uh, wiped his memory and stole the movie. Yeah, he got obliviated hard. Yeah. So my favorite uh, actually goes back to one of the issues that you had in the book, and uh, I've been seeing it a little bit on on online. I never thought about it. I guess that. Harry goes with Hagrid. He, he gets kidnapped and taken away from a family that's been torturing him for 11 years. Goes and finds out that he's a rich wizard that gets to go to wizard school. And then Hagrid's like, okay, cool. Go take the train home on your own. Good luck finding home. And then I'll see you in like a month. Good luck finding how to get to school. Whereas in the movie, it is very handholdy. He goes directly from um, Gringotts and, and Diagon Alley to the train station Hagrid <laughs> walks him there yeah he gets lost <laughs> after that but <laughs> at least there's not a month of going back to the torture chamber that he's been living in yeah nine and three quarters Hagrid but there's no such thing and he's gone <laughs> <laughs> and he's gone <laughs> good luck kid you can figure it out I also wanted to know what you thought about the uniforms for Quidditch I personally I liked the like the sweater that they wear but i think the cloaks are a little too a little too much i think it's kind of dumb yeah it's weird that they even have uniforms it's not like they assist the sport in any way most sports uniforms are for the specificity of that sport like baseball you wear long pants so that you can slide on the dirt and grass soccer you wear very aerodynamic clothes so that you can run faster I don't know what you would need in Quidditch. It's definitely not a cloak, because that's not making you fly faster. So, I don't know. Weird. Weird choices. It's also weird, because it's seemingly like they don't really wear padding, except like in the later movies, you see the Keeper wear a helmet, like a leather helmet that probably does nothing against whatever you're going to get hit by. Right. Which, this sport was made in, like, what, the 1300s? So I guess they just never added the rules that the NFL adds with padding and, and gear like that you'd think rydell would come up to them with like a revo speed or something that they could put on their head and like a face mask or something dude if nike knew how big a movie this was going to be while it's being made they totally would have sponsored their uniform and it would have looked sick we need a redesign <laughs> desperately for the tv show when they make the tv show yeah and also something i thought was really funny when we first see the pitch the grass is extremely well mowed and like well kept when like not even a factor in any of these games. It's just there. Yep. I'm surprised it's even grass because grass will not catch you any better than like, like sand. I would assume sand should be down there. If anything, if you fall off your broom, which 
actually plays a part later. <laughs> if Harry falls off Stay his broom tuned. and lands on grass, he's gonna die. Or if he falls off his broom and lands on sand or snow or something soft, it's still gonna hurt, but it's gonna hurt a lot less than grass. For real. And then, like, even more bashing and bad of Hooch, she's even more useless in the movies because she doesn't call any fouls and, like, everything is, like, super blatant that goes down here. Like, Flynn actively takes a like one of the bats and he smacks a bludger at wood when he's like completely defenseless and knocks him off his broom. So nobody's guarding the rings. And then another chaser like knocks Angelina Johnson into a pillar and like, she falls through it and lands on the ground and no whistle, nothing like play on guys. It's all cool. Hooch is essentially just the equipment custodian. She lets the balls loose and then she becomes a spectator. Yeah, it's a shame the Slytherin Seeker didn't have this killer instinct because he just kind of gave up when he was in the dive with Harry trying to get the uh, trying to get the snitch there. He was like, oh, this is scary, and he flew away and then basically gave Harry the cat for the win. So, like, this dude's soft. Yes, as most Slytherin Seekers are. Very true. We will see the softest one in the next couple of movies <laughs> and books as well. Um, one last comment here is that at the end of the book, when they're talking about how Quirrell was jinxing Harry at yep. the first game, he only did it because Dumbledore wasn't there. Yes, specifically was not there. Guess who's there <laughs> in this first match? <laughs> this is the kind of thing I have to blame the author who is co-sponsored as a producer on the movie for not catching this. I do not blame the director at all. That's not his fault. This is JK has to see this and be like, oh, wait. That's actually a main plot point. Take that out. <laughs> yeah, that was that was pretty frustrating for me. It's like this was pretty clear and like very much emphasized in the book, and now you just completely went against it. And it also makes it worse because the teachers did literally nothing to save him when yeah. his broom was going out of control. They just watched it. They're like, "Oh, that's unfortunate." An entire stand of adults went where Snape is sitting, and only two of them are even trying anything which it turns out one of them is trying to kill him. So really only one of them is yeah. trying to help. God. So I think we're just going to touch on Christmas and the Mirror of Air said really quick. Um, Christmas looks dope at Hogwarts like we kind of touched on before. Like all the decorations, awesome. Like yep. Yep. I loved the sick. backdrop. Loved how the common room looked. Very well done. Get a nice little happy Christmas scene between Ron and Harry. Very nice. The chess scene with the tree in the background is perfectly set. Whoever was the set designer for that, fantastic job. Yep. This was also another small one, but I didn't write it down, but I will include it. that In the books, it was Harry's idea to try to look at the restricted section before he would shoot away. Movies, guess who tells him to go look at the restricted section? Ryan Granger. Okay. <laughs> I was going to guess Ron, but... Uh... I couldn't come up with a good enough joke because Ron's an idiot and no, never suggest that. Ron wouldn't even yeah, know he... that it existed. I did think we in the books that it... here? <laughs> yeah, right? Dude, we're <laughs> in the library. We're literally sitting in the library. Dude, I thought this was the cafeteria. <laughs> I did think in the books that it was a little weird that Harry knew that there was a restricted section. Like, this isn't Doctor Strange. You, you didn't walk into the library and be like, oh, by the way, don't touch those books. They just don't tell the kids about those books. So I I actually don't mind this change. Yeah, I didn't think it was very 
pertinent, but it did happen, and I figured I would just mention that if we're keeping tally here. Um, also, I'm very surprised that Snape didn't actually catch him in his first midnight foray with the invisibility cloak, which also the invisibility cloak looks like trash when they pulled it out. It looked like a very thin 70s designed curtain to yes. me. Yeah. Rereading it the book, like... it, it was weird for me because I pictured in my head what the movie shows as the invisibility cape, whereas in the book, when you're describing it, it's, it's just a normal cloak. It looks exactly yeah. like every other cloak until you put it on. Yeah, this looks like something Mundungus Fletcher would be wearing based on his character characterization in the later movies. Yes. Either uh, way. This was actually a huge annoyance for me that Snape even gets some kind of sense that Harry's there because that doesn't happen in the books at all. Uh, weird. Can yeah. Snape see through invisibility? Has he been paying attention for this cloak? Because uh, he probably knows it exists from when James was around. Probably, yeah. But for the last, I guess it would be... 15 years he's just been always on the lookout for hearing noises that don't exist because he knows invisibility is a thing like you can't be that anxious at all times yeah but keep but harry was doing some hella mouth breathing at that part he was like (laughs) (laughs) that is true so i'm not surprised like he probably would have heard him like i'm looking at quirrell he's not mouth breathing he's practically pissing himself no other explanation what's going on here and then I can't really, I can't really like make fun of the mirror of Arishead parts, because um, I think they were pretty well done, except for just not seeing Harry's extended family in them. Yeah, and, which really isn't a yeah. huge deal. It just it would have been a cool addition because Harry's not just in this to get parents; he's in this to get an entire family. Yeah, and something else I will say is pretty well done. I think they did a much better job in the movies of showing how much the going to the mirror had been affecting him because like there's that scene where everybody's supposed to be like eating together in the great hall for like whoever's still there for christmas and like harry's off by himself looking at the fire and like ron goes over to him but he's by himself and he's like trying to distract him he's like harry i don't think you should go there anymore like this is like i have a bad feeling about the mirror yeah for sure i think they did it a little bit better he looks kind of like a meth addict like he just needs his next hit in the movie whereas in the books it's very sped through we get that time lapse so we don't understand how much it's affecting him Yeah. And now we have one more section after this next section. Are you ready, Drew? I am ready. Okay. So Trouble and Nicholas Flamel is this section. One of the biggest surprise twists that I saw was when the gang is sitting at the Great Hall. I think they're eating breakfast or lunch. And they're talking, they're about to figure out who Nicholas Flamel is. Who remembers where Flamel came from? But Ron Weasley. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it makes sense. The only knowledge that he would have is from Candy. So if they wanted Ron to have an intelligent moment, this would be the one. Oh, my God. I was very surprised by that. I did not. I haven't seen this movie in a long time. I did not see that coming. Yeah. I was actually surprised when I reread the book because I've watched the movie way more times now that I've read the book that it was Harry, I was like, wait, that seems weird. (laughs) (laughs) It Um, makes so much more sense that it's Harry, though. It does. He had the card, and he read the card. So you'd think he'd remember. And Ron specifically says, oh, yeah, I have, like, five of those already, which means he has read it years ago and hasn't paid attention to it Mm -hmm. since. So there's no way he's going to remember that compared to Harry. So, yes, Harry remembering 
makes 100% more sense than Ronald Remembry. Very true. And then... But they stole so many lines from Ronald that they had to give him something. Yeah, they threw him a bone. I'll... Here, here you go, Rupert. Give him, give him this piece. What? Um, I will say that this was a very close second in my least favorite change. I hate the whole dragon and punishment section in this movie. I'm not a fan at all because they butchered it. I yes. feel like. Yeah, I agree. So. Let's buckle up and we're going to hit on everything that's wrong here. All right. So first of all, them, they just stumbled upon Hagrid having a dragon's egg when they went to visit him. Never got a letter. Like they weren't prepared for it. It was a surprise. Yeah. Second of all, the egg hatching looks like trash. Very dated CGI there. Very. Again, I don't know how Lord of the Rings makes the same year of production looked yeah. dramatically better. Yeah, dude, I don't get it. I, I just don't understand. They must have just had their budget allocated differently. That's the only answer I have for you. I just Otherwise, can't imagine what either. they had it budgeted on. Lord of the Rings spent so much money on travel, actors, CGI. I don't know what else there is. <laughs> Director. I think somebody cooked the books, man. That's all I've got. That's my only Maybe response. that's what it was, is they spent all the money on food. <laughs> there was a lot of food in the Great Hall every time. So. Uh-huh. Hufflepuffs out there eating everything, so the food budget was extremely high. Oh, watch out, guys. We got dinner gate on our hands. <laughs> dinner that's the gate. only thing I can think of. Oh, my God. And then something that was most frustrating here is that, like, it makes it seem like Malfoy just followed them to Hagrid's for no reason. Because yeah. there was no setup to him, like, knowing what was going on there. And also, like, make fun of Hagrid all you want, but in the books, he at least had the curtains drawn a little bit, so it would have been harder for him to see. Yeah. Here, he's just blatantly right in the middle of the window seeing everything. Like, that's such a stupid change, and it doesn't make any sense. And then, like, it didn't even look that it was that late when they came back from Hagrid's. So students being out of bed late probably shouldn't have been an applicable punishment here. Especially because Christmas just happened. So if the sun is still up whatsoever, it's 5 o'clock. Yeah, it really didn't look that dark to me. I might have been misremembering it because it was just like everything else was wrong and I was in a cloud of rage. But, like, <laughs> didn't really look that late. So I don't know why this would have applied. And then probably the biggest issue here is that they've established that dragons are illegal in the books they made a huge deal about like you can't own these they're dangerous pets like you get caught having one you get big trouble like that's why some dude is playing cards with Hagrid for the dragon's egg because it's shady underground dealing and the whole school knows that Hagrid has this dragon Dumbledore knows McGonagall knows Filch knows the kids know and then he's just like, oh, I gave he, Hagrid's all upset because he gave the dragon away. And everybody knows that he gave it away. Like, he should have been in much bigger trouble because it was a secret in the books. Right. That was the whole reason and the was, kids got in trouble in the books was they wouldn't give up Hagrid. So they just took the hit. Yeah. And like when Malfoy tried to tell teachers, it was such a tall tale that nobody would believe it. Right. Who brings a dragon to a school? Like <laughs> 
So yeah, yeah. weird weird thing to change. Because I, again, I feel like that's a big plot point. Not only are these kids think that um, Hagrid is such a good friend that they're willing to lie for him, but that's the whole reason they end up in trouble. Yeah, and also one of the whole big things here is like Neville feels betrayal from the kids because he tried to help them out and they get him in trouble. And they just don't have him included in the punishment here. So that's why he was like, that's part of the reason he, and well, actually not really, he was looking for his toad, but like that's part of the reason why he's so up for like fighting them so they don't try to escape from the common room when they go to confront the stone. Right. Like that's it just make it's just frustrating that they made those changes and it like it would be good setup for Neville because they're already putting him as like one of the goofy kids that you really want to root for and like that's who he is in the books too so like why not put him in the scenario so you could build it up for later in the movie right anyway so they go to the forest and the unicorn blood very clearly looks like silver paint that they just dropped on the ground. So like that was kind of a bummer or it's all like mercury or something. So Hagrid's going to die of mercury poisoning. One of the two. It was and... very strange looking. Definitely not what I imagined in the books. Yeah. And something that really stood out to me was when they were splitting teams, Hagrid was going to have Harry and Malfoy go alone. He uh... wasn't even going to give fangs that Malfoy had to ask for him. Again, this is one of the things that I remembered from the movies that I thought was weird when I was reading the books. In the books, I was like, oh, suddenly Hagrid's a genius for these the, the way he was splitting up the teams. When in the movie, I was like, what is this guy doing? This is the forbidden like, forest of danger, and you're just going to put two kids together with no defense? Yeah, like, you're supposed to be watching these kids while they're in detention. Like, you're not... Don't ship them off by themselves. They're children. Yeah. <laughs> Book Hagrid had a lot more reasoning behind his team setup. Which is saying something. <laughs> yes. Oh my god. And then I will say also, like we talked about this a little bit before we started recording. Um, the Quirldemort scene doesn't hold up at all in these movies. Like in when I was a kid and watched this, I was super scared of it. Like it was scary to me. But like the effects are so dated, it's clearly like a puppet after they show like the close up of the mouth dripping the unicorn blood. It's a puppet. Like you see the hood like start to slide back a little bit when it's like standing up and like when it goes to fly away, it's clearly just like a puppet being like pulled away somewhere. So yeah. Which says a lot. That. Which says a lot because Star Wars made in the 70s had a puppet that looked more realistic than this. Come on. Come on, guys. Come on. Be better, guys. Be better. $125 million budget absolutely ridiculous don't know what it was spent on (laughs) the only other excuse is they could have spent actually no that doesn't even make sense i was going to say they spent a ton of money on the ip but lord of the rings would have had to do the same thing yeah if anything lord of the rings should have been more oh no no i would i would argue that lord of the rings would actually be far cheaper because it had been out for so long clearly no one wanted it whereas harry potter was just catching fire Okay, so maybe they spent a lot on the IP. Maybe. Let me look that up. You move on. I'll look that up. Okay. So something else I was super let down by is um, they probably figured it wouldn't be important, but I thought it would have been a really cool nugget if we could see the centaur conflict over morality versus reading what the stars say and following the stars to the T. So I'm a little disappointed that we didn't get that, especially like the line where it was like, the stars have been wrong before. Like, I really hope this is one of those times too. I thought that would have been cool to have in there, but I guess I can see why they would cut that. 
Yeah, obviously we, did, we just cut a lot of the foreshadowing and, and genius writing here, which it has to happen when you're making a movie. It sucks. Yeah, you know, it happens. Yeah. It happens. You gotta roll with it. And now we get to Harry Potter Endgame. So something I caught on to a little bit later in the movies, I wanted to see if you maybe noticed this, but I think Daniel Radcliffe might have started going through puberty like during these movies, which is going to sound really weird, but his voice is different in a couple different scenes. Like For his sure. voice is noticeably deeper in some parts, and I thought it was really funny. How no, yeah, like, definitely. High pitched Danny, and then like a later scene that they definitely shot later on. It's like he's like Hagrid, rah, rah, rah. and then you see him later, he's like Hagrid. Like, I don't know. I just thought that was funny. I wasn't sure if you might have noticed that too. I and... didn't, but it makes sense. Even if it just wasn't him going through puberty, he's probably trying to figure out how to be an actor still and what actor voice he wants to go with. and what harry potter actually sounds like so he's probably changing it mid-film and not asking anyone because i wouldn't either if i was a kid yeah little dudes growing up right in front of our eyes right in the middle of the same movie out of order in the same movie yeah um real quick jumping back I, there is no reference on this so i don't know if it is 100 accurate but the number that i found is that she sold the first four books for two million dollars so that would not be where most of that money went. So I really so don't. Dinner, I really don't know. Dinnergate's back on the table. <laughs> Dinnergate is the only option. Shit, that's all you had to say. All right. I mean, unless so the getting... adults are really that popular of British actors, because I know Dursley's actually one of the most popular British actors of all time. I, I just, I don't see how it could be anything else. He has like 15 minutes of screen time. There's no way he asked for $30 million for 15 minutes of screen time. Yeah, I think Maggie Smith and Alan Rickman were pretty popular too. Yeah, but I don't again, know about any of the others, but they were pretty up there. They're not on screen a lot either though. When you have kid actors as your main characters and they're driving the plot, you're not going to have a lot of other people that require yeah. these massive salaries. I don't know. Ugh. Yeah. I don't know, man. I digress. Also, this always makes me mad, and it even makes me madder seeing it on screen, where, like, Hagrid's just flat out telling the kids, like, oh, you just gotta play fluffy a little bit of music, and then they're, like, jaws dropping. He's like, shouldn't have told you that! And it's like, no, Hagrid, you shouldn't have fucking told anybody that. Okay, but I love that That was a secret. (laughs) That becomes, like, his tagline. I shouldn't have told you that. (laughs) Yes, Hagrid. All the memes are so funny, but like in the context of the story, it's just, it's so frustrating. And it's like, why are you the way that you are? Because he's an idiot. But he's our idiot. I like hating Hagrid. Oh my God. (laughs) Hopefully he gets better later. I hope so. It does not. But anyway. um, (laughs) So I do like the scene too, where they're going to leave to go get after the stone to try to beat Snape to the stone and Neville's there waiting for him and he's just like wearing those like that full PJ setup he's like putting his hands up he's like I'll, I'll, I'll fight you and then like Hermione just blasts him down like knocks him over and stuns him and like all the kids are going to leave and they're stepping over him they're like oh sorry so sorry Neville and then Rod's just like it's for your own good you know <laughs> Yeah, that's not how I pictured it in the book at all. I I saw them almost at the door and him behind them. 
So them stepping over his cold, lifeless corpse just gets me every time. I thought it was so funny, especially like I didn't expect that it's for your own good to pop up. So that made me laugh pretty good. It yeah. got me. Yeah. And then like after she knocks it, well, she like takes him out. Ron's just like, you're brilliant. Scary. But brilliant. It's like, yeah, Ronnie, don't you forget that about your girl, man. I was going to say, you start acting up. The crush has begun. <laughs> he's into, oh, yeah. he's into being dominated by his girlfriend. Yeah, it makes him feel some type of way when <laughs> makes Neville all stiff as a board. Same thing's <laughs> happening in his pants. <laughs> it just came to me, man. I couldn't stop. It had to come out. I can tell. Phrasing. <laughs> phrasing. Are we still doing phrasing? Is that still a thing? Still I just want to be on the same page. <laughs> oh, I haven't seen Archer in so long. But anyway, we already talked about the devil snare part. We're not going to hit up on that too much anymore. We already beat that up, I think. I think it's fair to like keep going forward. And we could agree that Hermione got severely shafted by that being her big moment in the crusade for the stone versus the logic puzzle. Yeah. I think we're in agreement there. Um, but then I thought it was weird in the scene with the keys. In the book, they didn't attack. They were just flying around. In the movies, they were violent. <laughs> I thought they attacked when he grabbed the right one in the book. He just had to fight it. He just had to fight his way through, I think. Okay. So it probably said fight his way through. And then the director was like, fight his way through. That means they were attacking him. <laughs> yeah. I think the whole thing was like, he needed to just have like a good eye to spot the one, like the seeker's eyes to like, like somebody who was a seeker who was really good at like finding small things that are hard to notice details of. Right. And being able to pick it out. And I thought it was hilarious still that like Ron was still able to identify the key based on the lock in the movie too. <laughs> yeah, you love that. <laughs> oh, dude, I thought it was so funny. I didn't, I forgot that was in the movie and I just heard him say it. I started laughing. I was like, yeah, he did that in the book too. Because <laughs> I had to keep rewinding that part because I saw like when they were on the chessboard that Harry was noticeably had like a ripped sweater and was bleeding out of the head and like everybody else was fine. So I was like, when did this happen? <laughs> so I kept like rewinding back and I watched the devil's scare part. It's like, all right, it wasn't here. Nope. Then I went forward and then I was like, oh, it happened at the keys. Those keys all right. decimated him, dude. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of the chessboard, that was my favorite scene i was looking forward to seeing on the big screen i think the setup of the chessboard how it looked on the screen looked really good and i thought like the brutality of the chess pieces was very well done yes it was uh, honestly definitely one of the top scenes that was better in the movie than in the book for sure and speaking of stuff being better in the movie i thought that Hermione and Harry's little talk before like Hermione had to go and get Ron and go get Dumbledore. I thought that was actually really well done in the movies. For how they changed it, it was well done, yeah. Yeah, and I think they still I think they still touched on the key parts where like Hermione's like trying to emphasize that like just being able to wave your wand isn't being a good wizard. It's like having courage, like being there for your friends, things like that. Like it's all those intangibles that go into it too. So right. I thought it was a very good job. Yeah. My favorite scenes I was looking forward to, it's so hard to nail down. That Easily why the series did so well as a movie and, and mm -hmm. why it drove people to read the books is the creativity and openness of this world that was created 
everyone wants to see it pictured. Everyone immediately has this image of magic and dragons and castles and kids getting sorted into houses. It's just so weird that you want to see all of this on the screen and how people like it. Um, but I'll always have to go back to the Great Hall. I love seeing the magic of how Dumbledore paints each different season and holiday. It's amazing seeing it on the big screen. Yeah, and I'll give you that too, definitely, just because like it makes you, like, at least for me, whenever they get to the Great Hall, like early in the movie, it's like, oh, we're back at the school, like another year's about to start, more hijinks, let's get into it. Yeah, exactly. It's the, it's the opening and the ending for Hogwarts. Just perfect. Yeah. And then I also thought the Quirrell confrontation was a little weird because it happened pretty differently. Yes, it happens a lot movie. faster in the movie. Yeah. And like Harry's a terrible liar in the movie. Like it's he at least kind of holds it together in the book, but like in the book it specifically him, like, Yeah, yeah. The book yeah. specifically says he's great at hiding the stone. He like he in his head he narrates, he's like, I feel the stone, but I can stay completely straight faced. He has no idea. In the book he's like, uh uh or the movie. <laughs> uh, uh uh yeah, I don't I don't have it. <laughs> uh, I, I won the the house cup and he's like He's lying. <laughs> right. Which in the book makes you even more terrified of Voldemort because he can tell he's lying when you shouldn't be able to. Yeah. In the movie, it's just like, yeah, okay, anyone who's ever been lied to should be able to tell this was a lie. <laughs> so Quirrell's yeah. just an idiot. And he, Harry also vaporizes Quirrell pretty easily here. Like, in the book, it takes everything out of him, but he just, like, crumbles curl the dust here like he's nothing and then Voldy does this weird like ghost fly through thing and he like falls like he's in the game over screen from kingdom hearts where he's like oh and then he's like floating <laughs> i don't mind that change because it would be very hard to show how much pain harry's in from just touching someone else it would be pretty confusing if you didn't read the book so i i don't yeah. mind that that was okay with me that's fair i just thought it was weird and we can't forget the biggest casualty at the end of this scene. Voldemort's nose. <laughs> Gone forever. True. <laughs> I was surprised they even included it here. Yeah, I was very surprised to see it again. I was like, oh, yeah, they gave him a nose early on. Interesting. Yeah. Those slits. Yeah. He hasn't gone full uh, snake man yet. <laughs> Shout out to any yet. One Piece fans. I haven't gotten to that part yet. Oh, you're very far away from that part. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. <laughs> anyway. Um, the scene in the hospital wing, I think, is also done very well. Uh, Richard Harris was, again, a very good Dumbledore. He's the right kind of warmth that Dumbledore should have, where Gambon is just, like, cold as hell, and he doesn't know how to deliver lines correctly based on what happens in the books. Um and the year-end feast is just as savage as I thought it was going to be. Oh, Super yeah. Super savage. Absolutely. It, it's even more savage coming from the calm, cool, chill Dumbledore, because he just does it so casually. So like, oh, yeah, by the way, Slytherin sucks. Go Gryffindor. <laughs> so I think a change of is in order. He just holds out his hand and everything turns Gryffindor like in the Great Hall. <laughs> Rathlog hatred. Just the further, just keeping that divide nice and strong between the houses. Yep. Um, also, no apologies from Hagrid for basically causing this whole scenario at the 
the end of the none whatsoever just gives, just gives him the photo album just because like cool Hagrid with apologies still wasn't enough to stop me from ranting, so you can imagine how I feel that Hagrid even didn't apologize in the movie. Yeah. Uh, well, just let it ride. Just let it ride. It's cool. Yeah, it's fine. I'm not doing it again. Yeah. I've yelled Can't at him enough. Hopefully I never have to yell at Hermione again. Oh my god, I hated that, but she deserved it. And they pulled that... I think you'll have to. No, and they pulled that mistake that she made out of the movie, so I can't yell at her here. She couldn't forget the cake because yeah. they just cut that whole part out. <laughs> yeah, because you totally don't need it, right? I mean, I can understand why they did, but like the whole rest of it makes no fucking sense. So, <laughs> yeah, whatever. Um, also, that last line that Harry has where he's like, I'm not going home. Not really. Like, have you ever seen the movie? Yes, man. No. Oh, my God. There's um. The premise is Jim Carrey's character, like he's like just skating through life, like his life is fucking miserable because he like doesn't like to take chances, and he meets some guy that convinces him to say yes to every opportunity that comes up from now on. Okay. And he has a he has a manager at the bank he works at, and his manager really likes Harry Potter. He's like, hey, we're having a, and he's like Australia or something. He's like, hey, I'm having a big Harry Potter weekend this party this weekend. You should come. So he goes to it, and like they're watching all the movies, and like. They're showing that part at the end of Sorcerer's Stone, and like you, it turns around to his manager, and he's like voicing, he's like mouthing the words along with it. And he's like, you see a tear coming out of his eyes. <laughs> <laughs> so I just think of that every time I, every time I see that line, it always makes me laugh. It always gets me. Okay, yeah, I can see how that would ruin that for you. <laughs> it's so funny, and it, I didn't think we'd make it, man. But we've reached the end of the movie, and that was a wild ride. Yep, you you did indeed win the over on how long this video would take because we got distracted at every turn as usual yep that's just what we do man i feel like that's part of the charm i like to think that's what it is absolutely yep and we just have two more awards to give out you ready i i hope so okay so <laughs> in terms of being faithful to the source material how would you rate this movie so we've hinted at it this whole time you have to compare that question to the rest of the Harry Potter movies, and the rest of book adaptations in general that have been made. Uh, there are some awful, awful book-to-movie adaptations. Rick Riordan's um, uh, Greek series is one of my favorite young adult novels of all time, and the movie just makes me want to stab my eyeballs out with how poorly it was adapted. Harry Potter does an amazing job at adapting compared to normal books but there's just so much further to go i feel like we're landing on the moon and then i'm like okay but like can we land on pluto now but we're on the moon it's so cool we're in space we're on the moon but i'm like but but i just want to go a little further so it's it's so hard so i have to rate it as extremely well adapted knowing that i want more i crave more better adaptions yeah, I'm, I think I'm right there with you. I think we're starting to learn, um, especially in like the Netflix, the Hulu, the Amazon Prime, the Disney Plus culture that we have now, that the best way to adapt any book series is through creating a TV series with multiple episodes dedicated to a book. Yes, I think and knowing the ending before you start. Exactly. 
And I think people could justify binge watching a couple hours of a show better than they can commit to watching a movie because nobody wants to go to like a theater and watch a four hour movie. Absolutely. People would rather have a, a TV series where they could watch two episodes and be like, all right, I'll pick this up later. Or like they could pause in the middle of an episode if they have to like go run an errand or take care of something. So I think that's the way we have to go. However, I will say that this movie was a pretty good adaptation in terms of adaptations. I didn't actually read the Witcher novels. I just watched the the first season on Netflix so far. Mm-hmm. It was fantastic. And everything I read, it was perfectly adapted. And I have to say that's because, first of all, it's Netflix. And they're not afraid to just throw money at big titles and make good stuff. But mm-hmm. they know the ending. They know exactly what fans love about the series already. And they made it a show instead of a movie so they could focus on those little details and throw them in here and there instead of only having two hours to put it out. So that has to be the equation that people follow from now on making these book-to-movie adaptations. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. And I'm very surprised that it hasn't happened yet that somebody's gone to Warner Bros. and like just thrown a Brinks truck of cash at them to say like, hey, let us readapt this series for you guys. We'll make it like seven, 10 episode seasons or something like that, or however they would want to split it. Honestly, they could probably do Sorcerer Stone and Chamber in one season if they really wanted to. I guarantee it's happening. I guess they just don't have enough money in the background. Um, However, Mm. I did read the other day that NBC Universal did buy the rights to Harry Potter. I don't know if that no was... No kidding, really. Yeah. So I don't know if that was mainly for the video game stuff, because there was a lot of video games coming out. This happened last year. There, mm-hmm. there was a lot of, like, the mobile stuff was happening Yep. Um, right around that time, so that might have actually been for that. But they did specifically buy the TV rights for the films and that game. So maybe they're working on it. Cool. Uh, I don't know. Super cool. I hope so. That'd be awesome. I'd be super about it. And then our last big award here of the eight movies, where does this one rank for you? For me, I have to put it at six. I literally always forget that there's eight. So I actually have to watch movie seven again because I just combine it with movie eight. I feel like it's good, but I just assume it's better than this one. I don't know. So this one's at six for me. Um, the first three movies are all the bottom three. It's just hard looking yep. back on these actors and actresses at such young ages and the plot just being so non-world-shattering, life-threatening kind of style. Um, there's just not a lot of book material to work with. It happens with every long series like this. You go back and read the first book or watch the first movie and you're like, wow, things were pretty boring back then, huh? <laughs> it's, it's just how it works. Yeah, it's true, man. I mean, you run into a thing where it's like, oh, they don't have any of these special skills yet. Like people haven't, we haven't adapt, like we haven't met a lot of these characters. We haven't gotten to this point in the plot where we're fighting the big bad evil guy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Things of that nature. So like this, it's through no fault of this movie itself, but I would also rank it. It's towards the bottom for me. It's seven. Yeah, absolutely. Um, no fault of the movie. This is all set up to make the later movies why we like them so much. Indeed. You Very can't well have said. those cool character interactions that we have in the later movies without the setup of the character relationships being created here. I wholeheartedly agree. Very well said, Drew. 
all right guys um even if you don't agree sometimes i hope you all enjoyed going through the first harry potter movie with us uh we still have six more books and seven more movies of content yet to cover and i'm very excited to work my way through the rest of the series and putting it under the magnifying glass not just with you drew but with whoever might be listening to this with us yeah and if um, you didn't agree with what i thought about this book just wait till we get to prisoner of azkaban oh interesting i am the antithesis of why everyone loves that book and that movie specifically the movie i honestly don't remember if i hate the book or not i hate the movie yeah i don't i'm kind of surprised by that it's a lot of people's favorites shockingly and it's definitely my least favorite by far yeah i'm really not sure why either i like that you just acknowledge that chamber of secrets is the speed bump of the series (laughs) (laughs) it kind of is um yeah it's weird prisoner is my least favorite and then goblet is my favorite so it's a very bumpy ride definitely definitely i can see that speaking of chamber of secrets we'll be covering chapters one through five next week in our book pod once we get back to the normal formula and until then uh just don't talk to any strangers with dragon eggs and very seedy dive bars take care everybody and we're out